Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The demise of another department store, Sears in the United States, uh, has uh, filed for bankruptcy protection due to massive debt and plunging sales. Is this the death knell for malls and other stores, retail outlets? Marvin Ryder from uh, the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University is with us here in studio to talk about this. How are you doing this morning? I'm glad to be here, Bill. You're not surprised by this, are you? No, in fact, if I'm surprised by anything that has lasted this long, when Sears Canada uh, declared bankruptcy earlier this year, um, January, February of this year, I thought Sears in the United States would be right behind it in line. I'm actually surprised they got nine more months. Um, at the center of all of this is a fellow named Lampert who bought Sears in the United States for two, in 2004. Uh, with that, he also got control of Sears Canada, and it seemed to be all about him. For instance, in Sears Canada's case, he kept milking Sears Canada for every spare dollar it could have to either prop up the American one or to pay himself a nice, handsome dividend. Uh, here we are now in 2018, 14 years after he took over, and, and in a way, he sort of starved this company into death. He, uh, Sears employees, management, were not blind to the fact that retailers uh, needed to update what they were doing to revise what they're doing to keep up with consumers but he'd never give them the cash to do it he always said the cash was better in his own pocket and so today what do we have we have a company that has about seven and a half billion dollars worth of assets on the books and over 11 billion dollars in debt chapter 11 in the united states is a bit like our consumer um uh, creditors Act, in which uh, basically you keep the creditors at bay while you try to, quote, restructure. Uh, the restructuring at this moment is going to include 140 stores closing. That leaves Sears and Kmart, they're all one today, with 700 locations, 89,000 employees in the United States. And whether he can restructure his way out of this, I'm, I'm just not clear. Well, I mean, it's the usual excuse, of course. They say lagging sales. Uh, which begs the question about the future of retail and the future of department stores. I mean, I want to juxtapose this, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, with a story that I also saw the weekend that uh, that says Walmart and Target stores in the States are actually doing pretty well. They've seen increases in sales. Is it because of the product? It's the same basic concept, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it is. But it, to me, it's quite fascinating uh, to watch consumers and where they spend. Now, let me first start with your initial question. Is this the end of retail stores? No. For all the talk of Amazon and and e-commerce, and it is an important part of our our, uh, sales, but it still accounts for no more than 10% of retail sales. So 90% of retail sales still happen in stores. Now, in the United States specifically, uh, there's also no doubt about it that they have overbuilt retail space. That's why in the United States you can find entire malls sitting empty, and they Mm -hmm. have to be repurposed in some way. They just overbuilt, just again to give you a sense of it, in Canada, let's say we have 100 square feet of retail per person. In the United States, they have 250 square feet of retail space per person. It's just too much. Uh, And so inevitably, a few of these stores are going to go the way of the dodo bird if if they cannot keep relevant with consumers. And that was Sears' problems, and it's been Sears' problem for 15 years. Solid stuff, you know, you can think of the Craftsman brand, you think of the Kenmore brand. A lot of people like buying those products. But in terms of clothing items, Sears just lost touch with the consumer base, and they would prefer to go to Walmart or Target or... Um, uh, you know some of the other larger retailers down south of the border, and then once you lose customers, once customers forget to stop by and see your store as they head to another store, it's very hard to get them back. 
you can do it, but it takes some money to do that. And as I said, Mr. Lampert, he kept he kept milking the money out of the company. Even today, Bill, it's an interesting story. You know, as an owner in the company, he owns more than 50% of the stock of Sears. He's likely going to lose that entire stake, but he also owns $2.5 billion of the debt of Sears. He is the biggest creditor of the organization. So I'm not crying for the man. He's got himself protected both ways, but he does seem to have had an interest in lining his pockets first rather than keeping the company going. And, and the impact of this is going to be monumental. I mean, the, the ripple effect here. I, obviously, there's going to be job losses, and, sure. and that's going to be a problem. But the and, and, and I'm not trying to suggest that's insignificant because it's, it's not. No. But it's also, you just talked about retail space. Uh, and, and we can relate this, for instance, to the Hamilton area. You've got large malls here that use what they call anchor stores. That's those big department stores knowing that's going to attract people. When you lose those, what's the future there? Yeah, so let me come on that in two ways. Uh, this story today is a culmination of a story that actually broke on Wednesday that Sears was seeking legal advice and accounting advice to head into Chapter 11. And that fed into last Wednesday's meltdown of the stock market when you have a, an ancient retailer over a hundred years, as iconic in the United States as Eaton's was in Canada, when you have it fail, it does send ripples through the economy. Um, I, I actually suspect today it's not going to have a negative impact on the market because it's the conclusion to the story. Everyone saw it coming and they go, well, it's better that we get it done now. And uh, a bit like also the um, uh, uh, demise of Target in Canada, they're doing it at a time that they're going to maximize whatever sales they can over the next couple of months. Maybe there'll be people going in at Christmas time to Sears in the United States in a sense of obligation or tradition because that might be the last time you go there. So that's the one side of it. Now, the, the other side of it is that when you lose these anchor stores, there isn't always obvious anchor stores to move in and take over. We lost Target, I guess now it would be almost four years ago, and we have just about now reclaimed all that retail space. So all the space that Target's emptied out, we've taken over. So if you go to Burlington, for instance, one Target store is now occupied by four stores. There's not one single anchor, but there's a whole series of stores. However, Sears disappeared earlier this year, and we're struggling to absorb that space back into the marketplace our nice friends at Shoppers Drug Mart and Dollarama and Canadian Tire and Mark's Work Warehouse, they've all expanded probably more than they had planned on because they got great deals to take over those spaces so they wouldn't be sitting empty. But even then, there's a limit to how much they can grow. And in the United States, given they already have too much retail space, the Sears stores going on the market could be more of a problem. One last point on that, though, is that since it's been around for 100 years, I do wonder if its real estate might be more valuable than is listed on the books. There's an accounting rule that you should always list things at historical cost. So if I bought a store in downtown Chicago in 1910, the value I carry it on my books is the value in 1910, not the value in 2018. And it may be that as part of the restructuring, they will sell a number of locations. They'll be able to take that cash, keep it going. So Sears might survive in some form the way, say, Toys R Us Canada survived, even though Toys R Us in the United States went under. You might have somebody says, I'm prepared to buy 40 or 50 of those Sears locations, still keep the Sears name and keep them going. But as a major force in retailing, I think Sears is over. But but how do the, the, the Cadillac Fairviews and the Rio cans and places like that, I mean, how do they absorb this? Excuse <coughs> me. Well, initially, they don't. Um, you don't obviously have people who just step in immediately. Now, 
you also have a long-term lease that Sears has signed. So Sears has said, we'll be there for the next 20 years. You're actually part of the creditors uh, that you're going to try to get some money back. But obviously, the day Sears closes up, that you immediately start to try to find a new tenant there and mitigate your loss. Um, and, and there will be. I, I guarantee you in the United States, people will look at Sears locations and maybe Neiman Marcus or maybe Nordstrom will say, oh, there's a nice location. They'll pick off a couple of here, pick off a couple of here. So some of them will come back into circulation fairly quickly. But we also think of Sears as a suburban store. Not only is it in a downtown urban area, but a suburban store. And there, I'm not quite as clear that there's going to be as many people wanting to move in. The Walmarts, the Targets, the Coles in the United States, they're already in those suburban areas. They might say, well, that one's just across the street from me. I don't need that at all. It takes time to bring that much retail space back into circulation. But it really throws off this whole formula of, of an anchor store. Yes, it then. does. And, and, and if even if I'm not an anchor store, but if I'm in that mall, right. uh, I'm thinking, gee, if they're not coming, they're not going to come to my store, that's for sure. Right. The traffic's going to drop dramatically. Yeah. So they obviously, again, those kinds of, of retail giants, the people who have the stores, um, who have the malls, excuse me, they're going to go out immediately and start making phone calls. I guarantee you the phone lines are buzzing today looking for people to take over Sears locations. Um, but it, it's, it's a challenge in the United States because they have just so overbuilt retail. And I can't really tell you why that was the case, Bill. There was, I guess, this nirvana in the United States that if you build it, they will come. So they kept building bigger and bigger suburban malls. And we've actually hit past a saturation point uh, I'm quite thrilled when I read stories about American malls rethinking themselves as urban hubs. You know, maybe we'll have a library, maybe we'll have a community medical center, maybe we'll put housing in here. And I think that's great to rethink them. We've talked about this in Hamilton in terms of Lime Ridge Mall when uh, Sears closed up there, that there was a lot of space. But a different story here. Again, we're not overbuilt, and the owner of the Lime Ridge Mall said, no, no, we've got this, don't worry. We don't. We, thanks for those ideas, but we've got our own plans for where this mall is going to go. So I I think we're in a different shape here, but in the States, yeah, expect to see some malls completely made over. What role do the big box stores play? I mean, they were the bane of everybody's existence, but we all shop at them at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different, it is a different model, Bill. So where once upon a time, malls gave you one shopping under one roof. So I could pull up, you mentioned visit the anchor stores, but I could visit specialty stores and do all my shopping under one roof, climate controlled, all this gorgeous, you know, I could maybe even have a spa in there if I needed partway through. Now, big box stores give you convenience in the sense that they all tend to be located in an urban area. I sometimes call it the miracle mile, that within this mile, all those stores are, but you still wind up having to drive from store to store to store. They're too big well, generally the, to walk The location to. used to be the center mall is just, just like that now. Center on Barton or, yeah. or uh, Meadowlands would be another yeah. great example yeah. of that where you have a series of them. And I've shopped in both of those places, but you you know, you know wind up pulling up your car in front of this place and then unfortunately getting back in your car to drive to the next place. Um, what How they win is that they are mega stores. If I think of a Home Depot and I need some little gadget, my first inclination living in Dundas might be to go to Canadian Tire. But if I think this is so specialized, I don't think that small Canadian Tire is going to have it. Gosh, if anyone has it, Home Depot, so I'll make the trek to the big box store. They, they certainly didn't help Sears. Um, Sears being a department store, a general merchandiser, had a little bit of everything but wasn't a specialist in any one thing. Uh, whereas Home Depot is a big box store but is dedicated in one way to a you know, very specific proposition. Uh, and they do pick off business. And that's the problem in retailing. Nothing stays static. People will pick off at the high end. People will pick off at the low end. And you've got to keep evolving to keep up. Keep up. 
Which is why there's some of these other department stores and traditional department stores, I guess, are getting into specialization. And, and we talked about that a couple of years ago, of course, with uh, the Bay. It's called the Bay again. I get to yes. keep changing the name every <laughs> few years. Uh, but they dumped a, you know, they used to be everything to everybody. There was a, you know, a, an appliance department, a furniture department, et cetera. That's all. They've got, they've hived it off. And, and all you buy inside that store now is clothing. Right. Now, having said that, part. now, having said that, here's a great example of a store that is experimenting. The Bay, uh, for this Christmas season, has partnered with FAO Schwartz. This is the big New York uh, toy retailer, and they're going to have what they call pop-up stores. So for the Christmas season only, the Bays will suddenly have toys again, but with the FAO Schwartz sort of labeling on it. And that's what the Bay has tried to do, create a series of specialized stores within their big uh, uh, store, so that if you're going clothing shopping while well, I'm going to the Ralph Lauren outlet or I'm going to the Tommy Hilfiger outlet within the Bay, now it's the FAO Schwartz. And this is their response to Toys R Us problems. Well, maybe there's a chance for us. Now, Walmart's also going to go after that market space. Uh, I think if you're a shopper this Christmas season, look for a lot of bargains on toys because everyone wants your money. Toys R Us Canada still exists. They're going to want you to come back and shop. So there's going to be a lot of people incenting you. But I think the Bay, this is a very interesting experiment. It's not a permanent thing they're doing. It's just for the Christmas season. And that's the kind of innovation you need today if you're a department store. It's the kind of innovation that Sears just refused to do. Or just be known as, as a destination place. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the success and of a place like Winners, which is actually a multi-faceted company. That's Winners, that's Marshalls, uh, HomeSense. I think they're yep. all part of the same family, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And and yet, again, they, they're able to position each of those stores just a little differently in the mind of the consumer. And that's that's another great example of it. Even if you think of uh, Loblaws, we have Loblaws stores, but we have no frill stores. We have Fortinos. They're all owned by the same company, but they position each of the stores differently in the minds of the consumer. I, I find it absolutely fascinating. You know, I'll, I'll have people tell me, well, I get so much better deals. I really love that no frills. I get so many better deals there than I get at Loblaws. And I think, but it's the same company. Uh, and in fact, no one ever raises the question, why is it possible for you to sell item A, whatever it is, so cheaply at No Frills and not so cheaply at Loblaws? And yet nobody ever complains about that. And that's the whole idea of my satisfaction. I'm getting good enough prices there, and I'm getting these other benefits that I don't really care that I'm getting the absolutely lowest price. That's, I'll think, I thought it was all because you have to put that quarter in the, uh, the shopping cart or you, get, or you don't get one. <laughs> save a nickel, save a dime, whatever you can. Wherever you can. Yeah. Always a pleasure, Marvin. Thanks so much. Glad to be here, Bill. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.